Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Exxon Broadcast Network, iHeart Radio, Simul Radio, and Simul TV. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. My guest this hour is Nick Redfern. We've had the pleasure of having Nick on many times over the past years. He works full-time as a writer, lecturer, and journalist. He writes about a wide range of unsolved mysteries, including Bigfoot, UFOs, the Loch Ness Monster, Alien Encounter, and Government Conspiracies. Nick has written 33 books, including Men in Black, The Zombie Book, For No One's Eyes Only, Final Events, Secret History, Monster Files, The World's Weirdest Places, The Pyramids and the Pentagon, and The Chupacabra Road Trip. He writes for MUFON UFO Journal, The Mysteries Universe. Uh, Nick has appeared on numerous television shows, including Fox News, The History Channel's Ancient Aliens, Monster Quest, and UFO Hunter, V1, uh, I'm sorry, VH1's Legend Hunters, National Geographic Channel's The Truth About UFOs and Paranormal, BBC's Out of This World, MSNBC's Countdown, and Sci-Fi's Channels Proof Positive. His website, nickredford14.blogspot.com. And Nick, welcome back to the X-Zone. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Hot like you, my friend. Hot like you. <laughs> it's very hot here, yeah. It's uh, the feel-like temperature right in Dallas is 103. My goodness. <laughs> Nick, let me ask you this question. When, when the heat is up like this and the temperatures are up, do more people have paranormal experiences than if it was cooler weather? Um, I don't know. Um, it's hard to say, really. I mean, typically, the most important thing, I guess, in this kind of weather is that you've got air conditioning, you know. Sure. That's, I think that's what most people are focused on, um, that the air, the air conditioning is running <laughs> properly rather than the paranormal. Well, it's always great having you with us, Nick. And... Um, I understand you've got a new book coming out. Yeah, it comes out um, just <clears throat> excuse me in about ten days from now, and it's called Paranormal Parasites, uh, public <clears throat> published by Llewellyn Books. And basically, mm -hmm. it's a study of cases throughout the world and throughout history where people have had encounters with supernatural beings, and it seems as if 
the the people, the victims, mm -hmm. have quite literally sort of been drained of their life force, drained of their energy, um, sort of like a like a psychic vampire kind of situation. And so that's the why the book's talk called um, Paranormal Parasites. It looks at what we might call the the supernatural equivalents of um, like folkloric tales of vampires and things like that. So would that be equivalent to a psychic vampire? Yes, you know, the, uh, I mean, when people talk of vampires, mm -hmm. I, mean, I think most people think of sort of Hollywood movies, either the, you know, sort of the old guy with the cloak yeah. and, um, you know, the, the turning into a bat, etc. Or, you know, they look like a cross between um, Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but that's sort of the, you know, the pop culture um, entertainment angle of uh, vampires. Now... You know, when you mention vampires as well, the first thing people think of is, um, you know, blood being drained from people's yeah. body. But what I found is that if you look back at a lot of the old legends and tales of vampires, it was not so much the blood that vampires craved, but, but the essence of the person or the soul or their life force, their energy. And um, that's what we find in cases still going on to this very day, almost as if these things are sort of literally feeding on us, but feeding on, as I said, like our energy levels, our life force, rather than, you know, the kind of thing you would see in, um, you know, an old black and white sure. horror movie or whatever. So why do they exist, Nick? Well, I mean, I think they exist to prey on us. I think it really is that sort of dark and, um, and simple as well. I think... Um, Whatever they are, mm -hmm. and they come in various different guises, as we can talk about in the show, I think they are sort of feeding on us in a very strange way, in the same way that we feed on things as well, you know. And, um, and I point out in the book, I think a lot of people, if not most people, don't realize the bigger picture that um, in some respects the earth might be like a farm. You know, the, you have the analogy of the cows on the farm, you know, they... They're sort of happy and eating the grass, etc., until the day comes, you know, when they get taken away. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it's kind of like that situation with these paranormal parasites. People have encounters with them and confrontations, and they fall sick and they feel weak and ill. Mm -hmm. And it's only then that they realize that, you know, us, the human race, we're not the sort of the top animal after all, and that there are things that in a strange way of hunting on us, if you like. So we may very well be part of something's food chain. Yes, but we're just not sort of seeing the, the bigger picture because, you know, these accounts and, and encounters are occurring all around the world. Mm -hmm. But if you're not looking for these stories, you know, you might not realize just how many there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And, um, and that's just the reported ones, never mind those cases that... Um, you know, people are afraid or embarrassed to talk about. So, you know, the the picture is sort of a very disturbing one, and the more we look into it, the more cases we find. What kind of cases have you discovered, Nick? Well, I mean, I'll give you one example. Sure. I mean, one of many. Um, the issue of the black-eyed children. Right. Now, the black-eyed children, for people who don't know, it's a phenomenon that started to be reported in the late 1990s. Mm -hmm. And the first case that was reported came from a journalist, uh, actually in Texas, where I live, uh, named Brian Bethel. And although his wasn't the first case, he was the first one who really 
highlighted it because he was a journalist and other people came forward claiming to have seen these sort of creepy kids that have now become known as the Black Eyed Children. And um, <clears throat> the reason they have that name is because that's typically how their eyes look. Not just like the middle of their eyes dark, but the entire eyes are totally black. What the, the usual scenario is there'll be a late night knock on the door, sort of 10 or 11 at night. And of course, like most people, you'd think, who on earth sat at the door at this time of night? People look through the spy hole and, um, and they see these two kids. And um, what's weird is that, you know, most people, you wouldn't open the door to them at that time of night, but they do. And the witnesses have said it felt like they were being hypnotized or mind-controlled to open the door. And the, at that point, the children would sort of move forward closer to the door. And it's usually a young boy and a young girl, very pale skin, usually wearing hoodies and with these solid black eyes. And they insist on being invited into the house. Now, this angle of being invited sort of um, parallels the old vampire legends mm -hmm. where the vampire couldn't enter your home until you invited it in. Right. Well, that's still going on with the black-eyed children where they say things like, we're homeless, can we come in? We're lost, can we use your phone? Um, we're starving, we haven't got any food, we've not, got nowhere to live, mm. can we come in? And so they're basically waiting for the person to say, yes, you can come in. And in some cases, they've got sort of really sort of crazily mad when people won't, them in, won't let them in. And they say, but you have to invite us in. We have to be invited. And it's like, it's, it's almost like, it's like a, a line that they've said so many times over and over again. But in these cases, when the black-eyed children have been in the house, the witnesses have said they've suddenly felt weak, as if they're, again, like their life force has been drained from them. As one witness said, um, it was like a, how a diabetic might feel, you know, if they'd missed breakfast and lunch, <laughs> and then it's 8 o'clock at night, and they start to crash, and they get the shakes, and they feel weak and ill. That's how one of the witnesses described it. It was as if their life force was being eaten by these black-eyed children, and the, the witnesses very often suspect that that is exactly what's going on. They're sort of using us as fuel, almost. And um, so the, the black-eyed children is sort of one of the most perfect in terms of describing the story, but also one of the most sinister aspects of these sort of paranormal parasites, the idea of these creepy, skinny, black-eyed kids right. trying to get into the house to bleed you dry of your life force. Nick, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our first break for this hour. Exxon Nation, Nick Redford is our special guest this hour. And if you'd like to uh, visit uh, Nick's uh, website, it's nickredford14.blogspot.com. And once again, that's nickredford14.blogspot.com. And Nick and I will be back on the other side of this break as we talk about, oh, black-eyed children. We're going to talk about Attached Spirits, The Men in Black, and much more. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and you're listening to us on The Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, and Simul Radio. And if you're watching us on TV right now, you're watching us on The Exxon TV channel exclusively on Simul TV. Nick and I return on the other side. Don't go away.
Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Nick Redfern is our special guest. Nick's uh, website is nickredfern14.blogspot.com. And before we go into the break, Nick, we were talking about the black-eyed children. And I have to ask you this. Is there any correlation between the appearance of black-eyed children and uh, any other paranormal event that may have introduced them to the to the world for example ufo sightings well um yeah i mean there are actually some issues in relation to the black-eyed children where some some researchers you know have wondered if they could be extraterrestrial you know that they have a ufo origin sure and of course you know if you look at the you know the history of ufology um, you see these sort of black-eyed Aliens, yes. not as the greys. Mm-hmm. And so the eyes, although the kids look human, apart from the fact that their, ex- their skin's like extremely pale, like white as white, um, the eye is very much rem- you know, uh, reminiscent of the, um, the so-called greys of, of alien law. Um, so, you know, people have picked up on that connection and the fact that, you know, their skin kind of seems a bit strange, like mm-hmm. almost like plastic doesn't look like you know it's it's sort of too smooth um so people have sort of made that kind of connection but um in saying that there are a lot of other weird stuff that goes on with the black-eyed children as well for example there are cases where um dogs particularly um you know pets in the home have have reacted in a very sort of nervous and terrified way uh several cases where you know the dogs literally ran out of the living room and sat on the bed shaking or even underneath the bed in one case. Um, There are other examples where after the black-eyed children have left the house, um, there's some cases where the owners, the witnesses, have suddenly experienced violent poltergeist activity in the home, as if some sort of residual energy had remained after these creepy kids had gone. And there are other cases where, for example when the, you know, the, the people are on the couch sort of in this mind-controlled, hypnotized state and the black-eyed kids are sort of draining them their energy, um, light bulbs have exploded and things like microwaves have suddenly stopped working. Um, again, as if there's some sort of interference which is affecting um, electrical equipment in the home as well. So, you know, it actually is... Um, it's a fascinating topic, but it's a very disturbing topic because of not just the encounters, but these sort of spiraling spin-off aspects as well. The fact that they only, uh, if I understand you right, Nick, they only seem to come out at night would account for the white skin, but it would also show me that the color of the eyes has something to do with light sensitivity and that sunlight or any bright light may in fact impede their vision. Yeah, I mean that's a good point because they do. There's there's no doubt that they stick to certain sort of parameters. Sure. You know, they rarely are ever seen in the day. They are usually just in twos. Usually a boy and a girl. Almost always between about sort of eleven and fourteen. No younger and, and really no older than that. Um, and as you say, you know, when they come out, it's when the sun's gone down and everywhere's in darkness. And um, you know that. When you look at the, you know, the potential for eye sensitivity and the, you know, the sort of milk-white skin, mm-hmm. then you could make a case that they're not, you know, their normal environment is not sort of a bright, sunny environment, you know, and um, maybe that has some bearing on their ability to interact in our 
environment that maybe physically they have trouble, yeah. you know, doing that. You know. Are, are they reported in all sorts of um, living areas, for example, downtown areas to local neighborhoods to country settings? Yeah, I mean, people often imagine or assume that most of the encounters occur in isolated areas because it would be easy for them to get there and get right. away and not be seen. But it's actually not like that. Um, you know, we're talking about sightings and encounters um, in your average your average street, you know, where you look out the window on a Saturday morning and, you know, one person's cutting the grass, somebody else is walking the dog, you know, a couple of kids have got a soccer ball or, you know, a football or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just like that. It's just regular streets. But what's weird is that in some cases on you know on a busy street where you know most people know each other when the witnesses or the, the victims have said you know did you see these two kids last night or have you seen them at all nobody else in the street has ever seen them it's almost as if the people that are targeted in a strange way are the only ones who see them and experience them almost as if um it was occurring in sort of like a a weird dream-like state or a, almost like a Matrix-like state, you know, from the movies, like a sophisticated reality which isn't a reality after all, you know. So there's a lot of strange things like that where they're sort of not just elusive, but they seem to be almost like too elusive. Yeah, it, uh, with all the with all the closed-circuit television cameras that are out there, uh, has anybody taken a photograph or have they been caught on surveillance cameras? No, there's actually no photographs and nothing like that. But there are a lot of people who saw, had the visit mm-hmm. and who said that, um, that, yes, they got, like, you know, security cameras and things like that, and nothing showed up. And in, in one witness case, um, they actually had the footage um, of the guy opening the door hmm. and kind of standing there for a minute or two in sort of a weird limbo state and then closing the door behind him. Um, and, of course, then, you know, you, we can't see what was going on inside because the door was shut. But nothing st- nothing turned up on the film footage at all. All, the, all it showed was the guy opening the door and then kind of standing there for about 20 seconds in a bit of a almost like a limbo state, and then closing the door. And yet, for him, it was a very real experience where he could see these kids, but absolutely, you know, if you looked at the footage, you would just see a guy opening the door, standing there, doing nothing, and then closing it behind him. Isn't that strange? Yeah, very strange. Nick, are there any other what uh, some people would call paranormal seducers out there? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you can look back throughout history, um... And you have the what were known as the incubus and the the succubus, and um, an entity known as Lilith. And these stories go back thousands of years, never mm-hmm. mind decades or hundreds of years. And they're sort of typically male and female seducers, in essence. They would appear in people's bedrooms in the middle of the night, and you know you'd have this nightmare of the, or this dream, you know, of um, like a beautiful woman. Um, and in some, ca- in some cases, they would sort of just lean over the person and touch them. In other cases, they would have sex with them. But um, for the witnesses, it was almost like a ruse because it would, everything would turn very badly and, you know, very negative. 
because again the witnesses or the the victim would would start to feel ill and sick and as if something was draining them again and um people who've had these encounters with these the incubus and the succubus um people have described how in the next morning they tried to get out of bed you know and they were just sure. they could barely get to the bathroom they felt you know they were going to faint they were lightheaded they had the shakes and it was as if it quite literally as if something was just you know draining them throughout the night and um like for example in ancient babylonia you know you find stories of uh, the incubus the succubus and and lilith now you, i don't know if you know this but um <coughs> excuse me sure. in newfoundland they have a specific one uh, called the old hag yes and yes. yeah now the old hag is like a modern day version and it, as the name suggests it's like this you know this sort of creepy witch looking old lady who again sort of manifests in the bedroom in the middle of the night and the, the people are rendered to where almost like in a state of paralysis you know they're unable to move as this old lady gets closer to them and there are not in every case but in a lot of the cases the witnesses have said that as again as the old lady looms in they don't not only do they feel sort of paralyzed and unable to move but they also have this situation where their energy goes away they can barely lift their arms and legs and um again as if you know it's kind of like their equivalent of pulling up in the car at the the gas pump you know and filling up and then hitting the road in a strange way it seems that's almost like the incubus the succubus and the old hag actually does are these events reported frequently in today's world well they are and what i found and that's one of the reasons i wrote the book was because um i did a few articles on this subject a few years ago and I got a sort of tremendous number of reports from people who said uh, words to the effect of, well, I had an experience like that, but I didn't want to talk about it. The times, you know, I've heard about that. But when people realize that other people have had mm -hmm. these encounters, then they're more willing to come forward. And I found a lot of parallels where it was certain specific entities that people were seeing, um, like the black-eyed children, the men in black, the old hag, <clears throat> excuse me, the alien, the black-eyed aliens of, of UFO history and um, another category known as the shadow people. In other words, it wasn't just sort of every, you know, every weird creature under the sun was having the ability to do this. It was specific ones and specific categories and, and certain time frames over and over again. You know, the middle of the night, sort of 1 a.m. to 4 a.m., and with the black-eyed kids, it was late at night, you know. So I, I was able to put together a lot of parallels, um, Nick, which again led me to believe, you know, with, sure. that these stories are, are genuine and they're worldwide. Nick, I've got to take my news break at the bottom of the yep. hour. Please stand by. Nick Redfern is our special guest, a most welcome guest and a good friend of the Exxon Nation. His website is nickredfernfortian.blogspot. Com and all of Nick's books are available on Llewellyn's website at www.llewellyn.com. I'll be back on the other side with Nick Redford. Don't go away.
Welcome back, everyone. Nick Redfern is my special guest for this hour. His website is nickredfern14.blogspot.com. And we're talking about Nick's latest book that's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks entitled Paranormal Parasites. And uh, once again, it's available on Llewellyn's website. And I'm sure Nick's website, as well as Nick, I would imagine, all online stores. Yep, that's correct, yep. All right, let's let's just switch a little bit from the paranormal seducers as and and black-eyed kids and get to the men in black. I never thought of them as being anything but you know, mm. the old men in black were supposed to be government agents who were going around hushing people up from talking about their UFO encounters or their ET uh, abduction experiences. What's changed well, over the years? Well, actually, um it's sort of an interesting scenario because if you mention the men in black to most people, mm -hmm. the first thing they're going to think of is, is Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, you know, yeah. because when the movies came out in the 1990s, they were so successful all around the world that you didn't even have to be interested or even involved in the subject to know almost overnight who the men in black were. Oh, they're mm -hmm. these guys who silence UFO witnesses. And, of course, you know, in the movies, they had the black suit and the sunglasses, you know, this black car, etc., etc. And so people had that imagery. But the, the movies were actually based on a comic book series of the same name, which came out in the early 1990s, and the rights were basically, you know, used to, uh, to make the movies. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that that's just Hollywood's version if you speak to you know the vast majority of all the witnesses, they describe the men in black as being not unlike sort of adult versions of the black-eyed children. They're sort of typically their skin is very white, yes. uh, almost look totally botoxed, you know, um, and they wear these old-style fedora hats, black suits, white shirt, skinny black tie, and they have these sort of bulging eyes. The, the eyes look normal in, in terms of how an eye looks, but they're sort of bulging, mm -hmm. and they hide that these bulging eyes behind these wraparound sunglasses. Now, if you speak to the vast majority of the witnesses who've been visited and threatened by the men in black, they describe uh, something, again, which parallels the black-eyed children, where they felt that their self-will was being taken from them when there was a knock at the door, and they, they saw their hand, go, their own hand, going to the door to open it, but they were trying to stop themselves from hmm. doing it. Um, and usually they fail, and then the men in black walk in, and the person sort of stumbles a bit and, you know, crashes down on the couch, and then they, they come out with their threat. Um, but again, most of the witnesses have said that the, black, the, excuse me, the men in black don't really look completely human. They look enough like us to pass among us, say, late at night in the shadows, but if you would have a good look at them, you would think, wow, you know, what's, what's wrong with that person? Mm -hmm. um, and the answer is they may actually not be people, you know, in the way we understand it. But um, there are a lot, of, a lot of cases like that where, and again, the, typically the men in black have to be invited in. They don't sort of force their way in. They sort of mind control the person to, to let them in. And so a lot of parallels there. And also there are... Uh, similar cases with the black-eyed children where the witnesses have started to the men in black, the witnesses have started to get the shakes and, and not feel well, you know, and kind of feel depleted of, of any kind of strength or power. And um, 
the, these stories go back to the uh, early 1950s. Now, the term men in black and man in black was coined in the early 1950s by a guy named Albert Bender, who lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut, in the United States. And he wrote a book called Flying Saucers and the Three Men in 1962, which told his story. And way back then, Albert Bender was talking about how he would see these men in black type characters sort of literally materialize in his room and in this sort of like a smoky form, and then they would become physical. And they would have these sort of, they still have the old style fedora hat, and they would have these bright, shining, sometimes glowing red eyes or glowing white eyes and who threatened him telepathically um, to leave the UFO subject behind or else. And if you read his book, it's almost like a cross between The X-Files meets some sort of gothic horror novel, you know, H.P. Lovecraft. It's sort of mm. like a cross between, between the two. Because, and so that's, re that's really how the, the template, if you like, of the, of the Man in Black really is. But so many people, due to the pop culture exposure think the men in black are secret agents so to speak but the vast majority of people never ever report them like that they describe them as being almost looking like a dug up zombie you know just jerky walking and yeah. pale and skinny and just looking very very weird um earlier you talked about something that i'm hearing a lot about from paranormal investigators ghost hunters called shadow people what can you tell us about those people, Nick, or those, those uh, what are yeah. they? Illusions? Well, uh, shadows? Well, I mean, if you imagine, I mean, we all have shadows, yes, you know, when yeah. the sun's out and, you, and there's a shadowy area, you can mm -hmm. see your shadow. Well, if you imagine if that shadow suddenly broke free from you and independently started to move around, you know, you'd freak out. Um but if you imagine sort of an independent shadow, but with no person casting the shadow, that's the best way to describe it. Now, again, one of the interesting things is that most of these encounters occur in the dead of night. And it's never usually sort of 10.30, 11.30 or 12. And it's never usually sort of 4, 5 onwards. It's almost always between about 1 and about 3.30. And interestingly enough, you know, that's when... Arguably, we're at our most vulnerable when you're in your deepest sleep state. Now, some people might say, well, you know, these it's just people having bad dreams. Sure. But what's intriguing is that you can look at into these stories all around the world, and the imagery is pretty much the same. They talk about seeing like a silhouetted um, human shadow, very often actually wearing uh, like an old-style fedora as well, like the Men in Black, which suggests there might be some sort of connection. Um, and there's sort of a subcategory within the shadow people known as the Hat Man because people see this shadowy, silhouetted figure in the bedroom with what clearly is, you know, some sort of a hat. Sure. Um, again, the people wake up and they they know they're awake or their mind's awake mm -hmm. but they cannot get the body to respond and they see this shadow this human shadow in the corner of the room and the closer it gets to them the harder and harder it becomes to actually move and, and fight and and again you have this angle of people being drained of energy but in some of these shadow people stories whereas the with the black-eyed children the men in black 
the witnesses just start to feel ill. In some of the shadow people stories that I've got in the book, what they actually did, the shadow person would put their hand out and touch the person in the bed, and the, the process of touching them caused them to lose their energy and, um, and just start to feel weak. You know, kind of almost like, you know, when you put a, a plug into an electric socket, you know, the, the plug gets the energy and which fires up, you know, the laptop or your bulbs or whatever. Um, and it's kind of like that with the shadow people, almost as if when they touch you, that they're siphoning off your energy. And it's interesting that I, I don't have cases like that with the men in black or the black-eyed kids, where if they touch you, you know, that um, something like that will happen. But there's quite a few with the shadow people where they do time and time again say that he reached out or she reached out and touched me, and that's when I started to feel bad. It's, it's rather amazing that most of these stories uh, happen when the person is in a basic sleep paralysis. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing because, you know, there's this one school of thought that believes that, you know, when we go to sleep at mm -hmm. night um, and, you know, we, we all dream every night whether we remember it or not, you know. But I think we've all had a dream at some point which doesn't seem like just a, a normal dream, you know. And one of the theories is that these entities can quite literally sort of invade our dream states and become a part of them. Um, and that sort of goes back in ancient times as well, the idea that, you know, dreams weren't just, you know, sort of um, altered versions of things that happened in the day or your subconscious right. playing mind games with you. But that it actually, you know, in some cases, as I said, you can go back thousands of years where it was believed that supernatural entities <clears throat> had the ability to break into our our sleep modes, if you like, and manipulate them and even become a part of them, you know. And, um, and I think in some cases there's a good, a good argument could be made, particularly when the people themselves feel they're in this weird sleep paralysis state. It, you know, it's as if they really are in sort of like a, a semi-awake nightmare, which the, these entities are controlling, you know, and it's... It only comes to, to an end when they decide it's going to come to an end. But sleep paralysis is a natural function uh, of the body. The, the body secretes a hormone so that in our in our dreams we don't move. Uh, when we're, you know in our physical body when we're dreaming we don't move. For example, if we didn't if this uh, hormone wasn't given to us at the time of sleep, then if we were dreaming we were running, then our legs would move and we'd have physical responses to the dream. This way here we don't and. According to uh, the medical community, that when a person comes out of a, you know of the sleep state before the the uh, the counter hormone to the sleep paralysis is given, then this is when they have the sleep paralysis. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, one of the things we should stress is sleep paralysis is a recognized medical condition. Yes, yeah. The big the big question is on the or the big issue is on the one side, you know, the medical community who say, that, you know, that the, um, the scenario that you just outlined. Yeah. And then on the other side of the coin, you have paranormal researchers who, say, who point out, and quite correctly, that um, why is it, if this is just a product of the mind, why is it so many people around the world see the same thing? Like, for example, the shadowy figure in the All right, the Nick, we've got to take our final break. Please stand by. Exonation. Nick Redfern is my special guest. www.nickredfern.com. 
talk14.blogspot.com. And Nick and I will be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, during the commercial break, my producer said, you know, I, I suffer the old egg syndrome. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, my mother-in-law. <laughs> and Nick said that he's heard this a million times. Two guys sitting on a bar, one guy says to the other guy, boy, my mother-in-law's a real angel. And the other guy says, really? Is she that good to you? He said, no, thank God she's dead. Oh, where do these come from? Boy, am I going to get me mail for that one? Yeah, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> thank, thanks, Nick. Silence is golden, old friend. <laughs> Uh, Exonation. Nick Redfern is our special guest. His website is nickredfern14.blogspot.com. And for the majority of the show, we've been talking about Nick's book that is coming out in a couple of weeks called Paranormal uh, Parasites. And it'll be available on Nick's website, Llewellyn's website, and on all online bookstores everywhere. But uh, you just also released another book entitled The Black Diary. What was that about? Well, yeah, it's actually it was just coincidence that the books came out uh, pretty much in parallel with each other because they're actually put out by different companies and that sometimes happens you know mm -hmm. where one's going to plan to put it out this month and somebody else is going to put a book out from me with it when it's a different company and usually there's sort of three or four months or five months between um but in this case they're sort of very close which does happen now and again but the the black diary was actually um sort of my actually my fifth book on the men in black and um and it was sort of a, I sort of do a Men in Black book about every 18 months of all the new cases that have come out and that are, the people have shared with me. So the Black Diary, it's sort of written like, in a the title of the book, it, you know, it sort of reflects the fact that it's written as if you're reading one of my own journals, you know, and how I right. spoke to this person and that person. So it's sort of a study of the, the last 18 months' worth of cases of the Men in Black that I've got from, literally from all around the world. And again, you know, they all have this sort of archetypal image of, you know, the black suit, the black hat, but the very pale skin and, the, you know, sort of the ability to, to control minds and so on. Nick, are you getting more email from people who are claiming to be attached by spirits or having more encounters with spirits? And, and I've heard a number of stories, Nick, where people have gone to antique stores or estate sales purchase something and prior to that object coming into their house they never had a paranormal experience as soon as that object came into the house bang all hell broke loose yeah there's actually a lot of cases like that um where <clears throat> strange things have happened coincidentally um mm -hmm. i wrote an article for mysterious universe literally just a few days ago about a case from 1972 in england in a small town called in the north of england called hexham where two young boys um, playing in their backyard uh, unearthed these two carved um, heads, stone heads. One looked male, one looked female. And um, they were dated as going back to sort of Celtic times, about two, 3,000 years. 
And what was weird was that when the kids took the heads into the house, um, they started to experience a lot of weird activity um, where, for example, they would wake up in the middle of the night and, um, and see this almost like a werewolf-type creature looming over the bed, like a bipedal wolf sort of looming over them. What's it more interesting is that the heads are actually handed over to a, an expert, um, a, a doctor who worked in the field of Celtic archaeology and history named Anne Ross, and she experienced this sort of wolf-like entity in her home as well. So it was almost as if where the stone heads were going, this sort of paranormal energy or this entity was going with them as well. So if somebody has an attached spirit, how do they get rid of them? Well, I mean, that's, that's a good question because in many of these cases, it's as if the entity wants to kind of create this connection. And it's, it's very rarely a positive connection. It's usually, you know, manipulating the person, causing havoc in the home, terrifying them. Or, as I said, we've been talking about tonight, you're sort of using them as an energy source. And um, it's very difficult, or it's proved to be very difficult for a lot of people to get rid of them. And typically, the ways that have been, that have been achieved successfully are, for example, to sort of cleanse the house and focus your mind on getting rid of them, just, you know, banishing them. But it takes a lot of sort of self-will to, to really focus on it and not do it sort of half-hearted. You know, you have to really put your mind to it and sort of almost self-hypnotize yourself to tell them to go away, to leave. And as I said, also, you know, cleanse the house with uh, things like sage, you know, which has been over the centuries is, is sort of noted as a, as a cleansing from supernatural activity. So, um, but for a lot of people, it's not easy. You know, these things are kind of, kind of cling on us, cling on to us, you know, and get their claws in, and, and it's hard to get rid of them. We were also talking about shadow people. I mean, besides turning the lights on in order that the shadow can't <laughs> appear, how do you get rid of them? Well, again, it's very much the same thing. It's almost as if they, they have this obsession with us, and when they've visited one person, mm -hmm. possibly, you know, to feed on them, they come back to the same person over and over again. Uh, it's not always like that. Sometimes a person only ever has one experience, but, you know, it stays with them for their whole life because it was so traumatic. But in many cases... Um, they just stay with that one person, you know, and, and life can be sort of turned into a, a nightmare, you know, for weeks, months, even years. Um, so, you know, there's, there's certain things that are identical in some cases and other ones, you know, where they're a little bit different, so to speak. Whatever happened to the Mothman from the Mothman prophecies? Has he, has he, or has he popped up anywhere else or has he continued to, to show where he was originally seen? Well, yeah, it's interesting you should say that because there was actually a wave of uh, Mothman sightings in Chicago uh, last summer. In and like when I say last summer, I mean last year, right. not this summer. Um, and for people who don't know, the, the Mothman, which was um, the story, of the Mothman was told in John Keel's 1975 book, The Mothman Prophecies, and then in 2002 it was turned into a, a Hollywood movie. And um, but the original story. In the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, um, in late 1966, people reported seeing this sort of, almost like a gargoyle-type creature, like a humanoid figure with wings and glowing red eyes. 
and it was seen around the town of Point Pleasant um, for roughly 12 months. And it all culminated when the, the uh, Point Pleasant Silver Bridge, as it was known, that covers the uh, Ohio River, collapsed into the river and uh, drowned more than 40 people. And a lot of people who lived in, in Point Pleasant um, suspected or thought that possibly the Mothman was like some sort of Grim Reaper-type character that when it appears, you know, it comes to take human souls. Other researchers and people in town thought that possibly the Mothman was like a, a warning entity, you know, that appears in a, in a strange way, tries to warn us of, of forthcoming disasters. Um, so, you know, the, but it, it primarily ran from 66 to 67. But you can find things very similar to the Mothman all around the world. And you, and you could make a case that it's, it's actually the same thing. For example, in England, they have that one called the Owlman. Um, in, actually, in Houston, Texas, uh, just a few hours from where I live, back in 1953, uh, the local no, uh, newspapers covered the story of what was known as the Houston Batman, which again was like mm. a humanoid figure with wings. And um, so you can find these, and, and throughout history as well, you know, you have things like the harpies, and as I said, right. like the gargoyles, uh, which go back again thousands of years. Um, but however, or in whichever way you sort of look at the motivations of the Mothman, there does seem to be this angle of disaster and death surrounding it, whether it's, as I said, whether it's causing it to occur or it's warning us of something. Nick, uh, with all the people that you have the ability to, you know, to chat with and so on, have you noticed any particular uh, increase in any specific area of the paranormal over the last year? Um, well, definitely, yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult to sort of, you know, say for sure why it's happening. I mean, mm -hmm. in some cases, and specifically, specifically from my perspective, you know, doing shows like yours sometimes sort of pushes people and inspires them to share their stories, which they might not have done before. So it kind of looks like there's more reports, you see what I mean? Um, but whether it actually means there are more reports, I, I'm not sure. It could be a bit of both. But what I can tell you is that over the last couple of years, I've got more and more uh, reports of the men in black and the black-eyed children. Um, not, I won't say there's been sort of like a soaring increase in the hat man and the shadow people, but the men in black and the black-eyed children, I've been getting more and more of those um why that should be you know i i just don't know but um as, as i said i think part of it could be just people are coming forward because yeah. they feel more comfortable when they know other people are talking about it so they then share their stories that they otherwise wouldn't have but um but i definitely get more reports put it that way so. well nick the time has come my friend when you and i must say so long again nick always Thanks. great having you on the show congratulations on uh, the two books paranormal parasite that comes out in a couple of weeks and on your recent release of the black diary nick let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and how they can contact you if they have a story they'd like to share sure well i have a blog world of whatever so if you go to the blog there's a contact uh, button there which will take you to my facebook page um and people want to share information, or if they want some advice or help on something that's happened to them, you know, I'm always happy to uh, to try and you know offer something in terms of uh, you know rectifying the situations and whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, if people want to share things, if they want to 
relate a story or they just need some sort of help or advice, I'm always happy to do that. And um, and uh, as far as the books are concerned, um, they're, they're all available on Amazon. Excellent. Um, paperback, hardback, Kindle. And so Super. On. Nick, thanks again for joining us. I look forward to the next time you and I meet back here in the Exxon. Until then, take care of yourself, my friend. You too, Rob. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye, Nick. Nick Redfern has been Nick my Redford. guest. Uh, www.nickredfern14.blogspot.com. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.